Good morning, everybody. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And before I gush about how happy I am to see all of you, I'm going to move forward here a little bit. Nope, not out of the sun. I have no idea what that's doing to our cameras. Uh, maybe camera will help us out, but I hear that uh, I'm a little ghostly on camera in the sun. It's, I'm very Swedish. Uh, but before I start gushing about how good it is to see you all, I want to uh, start us off with a scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Nehemiah. Deep cut uh, for a lot of us Bible lovers. Um, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 and 8 through 12. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. The ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave, people, they, they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Be quiet. For this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. As Cameron said, I am so glad to be with you all in person. We were hoping for this moment a week ago and got rained out, uh, but it is such a joy and delight fortuitous for this week uh, to be with you in person. I know so many more of you uh, than could be here on the lawn are at home um, in your respective communities or places, uh, keeping safe or tuning in from afar. And for those of you that are going to come back one day, I cannot wait to be reunited with you. And for those of you who are part of our community from afar, I am so grateful for your presence. And for those of you here on the lawn, oh my gosh, it's starting to feel a little bit like Zao again, yeah? I am just overwhelmed with being able to be here um, safely outside with all of you. And as we are coming back from parental leave, uh, we've got baby on the brain. Our daughter Micah is uh, three months old now, and I've learned so much from her in a couple of months. And a lot of the things that I have spent contemplating in the late nights, there are many late nights, all nights are late, all day is a late night, uh, three months is a long time to not sleep. But being with her and contemplating what it means to be alive and what it means to enter into this world has really given me a lot of time to uh, reflect on who God made us to be. 
And Micah is uh, a typical baby in lots of ways, but one of the things that seems to make her a little bit less common is that she was born with baby FOMO. Micah has a fear of missing out, y'all. She does not want to ever close her eyes. Now, I know lots of newborns have different attitudes towards sleep. Some are really drowsy babies and others are, uh, are awake and alert. But this baby, she fights. She fights sleep. As soon as her eyes start to droop a little, she opens them harder and wider because she will not miss what is happening. No, 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 she is here for this party and she wants to be present for every single second of it. It's really cool, actually, to see how eager Micah is to take in everything around her because everything is new. And unlike jaded, cynical adults like myself, Micah is actually and truly open to all that the earth has to offer. She's wide-eyed with wonder basically every moment of the day that she hasn't been tricked into sleeping. And it's beautiful to be with her in this journey as she's taking everything in because as she delights, I am invited to delight. As her parent, it seems to be my job to curate creation for her, to find all the best things and introduce her, to show her the patch of grass just outside our apartment, to show her my favorite maple tree off our balcony, to take her to the big lake and listen to the waves. I love showing Micah the world, and showing Micah the world has made me fall back in love with the world. Her joy is contagious. But as I have taken joy in the world around me, I've noticed how difficult that is for me, how I often wear cynicism like an armor to shield myself from disappointment. Because opening yourself to the world like that, forcing your wide-eyed wonder into the world and refusing to look away for even a moment, it also opens you up to disappointment or loss. It can be dangerous to love things. And for much of my life, I have pretended not to love the things that I love whether that's thinking that I was too cool for pop music when, as I expressed to Cameron yesterday while I was singing Ariana Grande in the car, pop music is popular because it's awesome. <laughs> I love pop music, but for a while I was like too indie for that. But loving music has given me life. I also love people. But I spent a lot of my life, especially my adolescence and early 20s, calling myself a misanthrope, telling people that I didn't really like people, after all. And that is total garbage. I love people, but people are dangerous. People can hurt you, people can disappoint you, and many people have hurt or disappointed me. Maybe it would be easier not to get my hopes up, to write off all of humanity and say, well, maybe you're an exception, we'll see. But that sort of arm's length experience of the world is a deadening of joy, and it's a deadening of the very essence of our humanity. I was talking to my therapist this week about disappointment. She called it an intolerable emotion. I was like, what? 
We've talked about intolerable emotions before, these things that are so overwhelming to us sometimes that we just shut them all the way down, that we construct personalities around protecting us from ever feeling these things. The intolerable emotions we talk about most are things like terror or shame. And so I was shocked that we were suddenly talking about disappointment in this same way. She said, disappointment is about loss. It's incredibly difficult to bear. And so I, I started to explore this and the relationship between disappointment and joy. My friend Lori, when we were talking about the role of joy in our faith, also talked about grief. She said, when I feel grief, it is because I lost something or someone that I loved who brought me joy. Joy is what gives rise to grief, and so it can feel dangerous to enter into joy at all. Because what if we are disappointed? What if we lose that which we hold so much delight in? And in this way, it's extremely vulnerable to live a life of joy and to delight in it. The author John Green started a podcast a while back. It became a book. It's called The Anthropocene Reviewed. He had this project of reviewing the human-centered planet on a five-star scale. The whole thing was very tongue-in-cheek. And so he would just kind of rattle off these different facets of humanity, facets of creation, and he would reflect on them genuinely, but then glibly end his review with however many stars he assigned them. One of the first, cholera, one star. Canada geese, he's also not a fan, two stars. Even Diet Dr. Pepper, his favorite soda, four stars. But as the project progressed, he ended up taking on sunsets. As he shared his review, he confessed that he was embarrassed to be reviewing something so cliched. He was trying to resist that greeting card simplicity, the way that beauty is meant to paper over pain. There was a sort of, how can we talk about sunsets at a time like this energy to it? But if he was honest, sunsets astounded him. They were so perfect. He wrote, it can sometimes feel like loving the beauty that surrounds us is somehow disrespectful to the many horrors that also surround us. But mostly, I think I'm just scared that if I show the world my belly, it will devour me. And so I wear the armor of cynicism and hide behind the great walls of irony and only glimpse beauty with my back turned to it. Tentatively and vulnerably and earnestly, John Green gave Sunsets his first ever five-star review. And the result of this vulnerability was a cascade of five-star reviews. He reviewed for five stars Sycamore Trees, the song Auld Lang Syne, the 1950 movie Harvey, a very specific Icelandic hot dog stand. There are perfect things in the world, he said, because joy tends to snowball in the most beautiful way. When we look for what is perfect and good, we will find it again and again and again. 
That same friend who spoke of grief also said, joy is everywhere in every moment waiting to be discovered. As Cameron and I were talking about Delight and our daughter this week, he said that he felt like Micah's joy was contagious. That with Micah, not only do we want to show her the best things in the world, but her tiny delights become ours. When she shrieks with pleasure at a silly face that we're making, we become like little kids again, delighting in making silly faces. When she gives us even the hint of a newborn giggle, we fall out, laughing with surprise and joy. I believe that this is the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. The, the delight that God takes in our delight, this reverberating pleasure and joy, the contagious, smiling satisfaction with life itself that is actually the lifeblood of creation. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The scripture reading today from Nehemiah is a beautiful story. Nehemiah is beautiful and weird like most of the Bible. It's a story about rebuilding the city of Jerusalem after exile. As a community organizer, we often lifted up Nehemiah as a classic organizer for the work of justice in the world. And the whole book does a lot of name-checking people. This person was around and helped out in this way. This person contributed to this. The, the piece that we excerpted from the passage today, we kind of skipped over a chunk, just a list of names of all the people who were present and contributing. Because building a city, building a life worth living, building a life of joy requires community and connection. And Nehemiah does a beautiful job of naming all the people that contribute to the building of that beautiful city. But once they built the city, they gathered to celebrate. And as they do when they celebrate, they read God's instructions. But as they spend all morning reading the law and reflecting on the instructions of God, they hear this and they start weeping. Now, we don't get a whole lot of detail why, but to me, it sounds like they are afraid of disappointment. They are afraid to face the joy of the vision God has for the world against the backdrop of the pain of the world as it is. Because the distance between the world as God envisions it for us and the world that we live in every day is so vast and so painful that it can be tough to look at tough to bear. They had been exiled. Yes, they had built this city. Yes, they had hopes for what was coming. But who was to say that those forces of evil and oppression wouldn't drive them out of their homes again and again and again? History would actually vindicate their fears on this. It is hard and painful to live in a broken world, to live in a world where we are brutalized by systems of oppression and evil to live in a world so distant from the one God has promised us, the one Jesus talks about when he describes the kingdom, which is already somehow, but so far away. And so they weep. They want that world. They want the world of joy. But to catch the vision for the world as it could be means to acknowledge 
how far we are from that life. But their teachers tell them, do not weep at this vision. Rejoice, party even, eat rich food, drink sweet wine, give provisions to anyone who doesn't have them and celebrate because it is the joy of the Lord that gives you strength. The joy that we find day in, day out in the world around us is the inbreaking of that world which we are promised. We were built for joy. We were built for delight. We come into this world with wide-eyed wonder, just waiting to meet the creation that God has crafted for us and for one another. We come in with open hearts and open arms, waiting to be held by those who would love us. We come in with hopeful expectation that the world is a good place and people are good and we are truly able to be loved. The disappointment that we weather over the course of our lives tempts us to shield ourselves from disappointment by rejecting joy itself. But to reject joy is to reject the lifeblood that fuels all creation. To reject joy is to reject the world that we are seeking to build in the end. When we fight for justice, we fight for joy. When we hope to love, we give ourselves the strength to sit with that grief and disappointment and to continue to build the city on a hill, to continue to build the new world in God's creation, to continue to build the kingdom as Jesus described it, where all will be well, all loved, and all reconciled to the God who made us. Joy is the fuel that gives us strength to fight for a better world, but it is also the better world already and always breaking in and smiling at us. As faithful people, it is our call to look for what is good, to delight in what is good, to store up that strength for the disappointments when we have to also face the world in all of its brokenness and pain. But God has built us for this. And it is the delight that we take from our first breath that gives us strength to be the people God has called us to be. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, your world is delightful. Your creation is good. Your people are very good. Help us to open ourselves to delight and wonder, to be like wide-eyed little children, taking in all that there is to offer. God, strengthen us through this delight and joy. Make it contagious. Help build us up so that in those moments of grief and despair and loss, we can be fully present, that we can let that grief wash over us but not be moved from our journey into freedom. God, may we continue to hope and work for the world of joy you have called us into. Amen. As an invitation into delight and joy, I'd like to invite us into just a brief sensory experience. So much of joy and delight is communal, and so if you are able and here, or if you're willing to you know, hop, hop in a car or on a bike and get over here, I invite you to stick around afterward for caramel apple dipping and pumpkin painting and the silly delights of fall.
but wherever you are, I'd like to invite you into a sensory experience of delight because so much of delight actually is about being present to the moment. Has anybody here heard about the exercise 54321? The sensory, yeah, I'm seeing some nods. This is a sensory exercise that's often employed to help um, calm us if we're feeling very anxious. It's excellent for that, to bring us into the present moment when we're feeling overwhelmed. But it's also a great way of just arriving at the moment, paying attention to the world around us, which is what opens us up to delight. And so, first things first, I want you to look and see five things around you. Pay attention to your sense of sight and just take notice of five things you see. The way the sunlight glints on the leaves, the shadows of the trees, the community around you. Just notice those things that you see. Now I want you to try four things that you can hear. Maybe you can hear the children playing and delighting in their own ways. You can hear the bus and the cars, the city moving around us. You can hear the rustling of those same leaves. Now, three things that you can touch. You can move around to do this if you'd like. You can put a hand on your own self if you'd like, but I want you to touch what are three things through that sense in your body that are present right now. Two and one are often the hardest, especially if we have masks on, but they are taste and smell. And so I'm going to combine them and ask you to just taste and smell this moment right now. It's a good time to be outside in the fall. These sensory experiences are a gift that God gives us. And every time we take a moment to indulge in those gifts, we are connected to the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Music? <laughs>